0: Amen. So we are. We're blessed that you're here. I, I titled the message. I I was thinking about this. You know, what do you what do you title the you know message for Easter? And I titled it the the Tada of Heaven. Okay. And uh, the reason I did that was because uh, I was I read this note and it said uh, a Sunday school teacher was telling her third graders about the resurrection. It says and that she asked them a question. And she says, Okay, students, does anyone here know the first words? that Jesus spoke when he left the tomb. There was a little girl in the back. Her name was Bethany. She shoots her hand up. You know, she said, I I think I know the answer. And she said, I know, I know. And so she stood up and she said, Jesus' first words when he came out of the tomb and she opens up her arms and she goes, (laughs) Ta-da! And I read that and I thought, that is so awesome. That's exactly, you just picture that because it's not how it was. See, we have a different perspective today because we're looking at it you know, from 2000 years back to the cross, but it wasn't like that. And I wanted to spend some time this morning building this up in the sense that you would understand why Easter, it it isn't a cliche around here that Easter changes everything, that it really is about the resurrection because the resurrection, there was this one moment in human history that changed all of human history. And it's not the cross the cross led to it, but it's the resurrection. It's the resurrection, which was the proof that the cross was valid, that everything that Jesus had promised to do on the cross, he fulfilled on the third day when he rose again from the dead. It's the resurrection that changes our life. And so as we look at this this morning, there's some things, like I said, that are important that we note. You have to go back if you were with us on Friday, and that's why we couple the, the weekend together. It starts with Good Friday. It wasn't good for God, but very good for us. Because you, you think about what happened. You know, the, these women that'll, that we'll read about that will come to the tomb here on this Easter morning. See, they would go, if you go back a few days, Thursday night prior to Jesus' death, they went to bed looking forward to getting up in the morning and meeting with Jesus. If, if you followed along from Good Friday, there were six trials that took place. Jesus was arrested. They, there was trumped-up charges that were brought against him. And in the morning, I mean, literally, he was crucified in the morning. See, we, we, we don't think of the timeline of this. And so when they arose, I mean, there was nothing that they could do. They couldn't stop what, what was being done to their Savior, to their Lord, to their Master, to the one that they had fallen in love with, the one that they had devoted their lives to. And so they go through this day, and they're watching the same things that we read about, you know, in the crucifixion, and you see, you know, what a person would go through. See, the Romans at that time had put over 30,000 Jews to death. This wasn't something that was new, they'd seen it and they did it in the open. It was on the, the public highways and byways. It's like we see, you know, if you drive down a freeway, you'll see there'll be billboards. It, crucifixion was a billboard of Rome in that day. It was, hey, don't cross us because this is what will happen to you. This was the advertisement you might say. And so here's Jesus hanging on that cross and you've seen the pictures. He was nailed in his hands and his feet. And, and there was a little wooden little pedestal right below his feet. See, the Romans were, were great in torture. Not only did they use a cat of nine tails, it would have been a, a whip that was about 18 inches long with leather straps and metal and bone, and they had scourged him with that. You've seen the, the pictures if you've seen any of the movies depicting his life that just ripped him open where he was, as Scripture says, was beyond recognition, that you wouldn't even have recognized him. It's not this beautiful portrait that we see, you know, paintings of, you know, that he's a, almost looks like a Southern California surfer, you know, to a certain degree with his long flowing hair and tan and, you know, blue eyes and, you know, no, he, we would not even have recognized him. And so here they are going through this day and their, their whole lives have been shattered. They, they, they have gone from being followers to unfollowers, from believers to being unbelievers. And so if you're here today and you struggle with your belief, you're not alone. You're not alone in that unbelief, even for many who've walked with, with God. See, they walked with him for about three and a half years. That was his earthly ministry. And they're watching him throughout the day. And part of the torture was, you know, as a person would try to, to breathe because the way of crucifixion would kill you would be by asphyxiation that you would die, that you just couldn't get your breath any longer because you'd become so weakened from the beatings and from being crucified with those nails through your hands and your feet. So you would push down on that little pedestal and you'd have to push up and that'd be the only way that you could breathe. And scripture says that, you know, what happened was they came along at the end of the day and they broke their legs. And the reason they break their legs is because they needed them to hurry up and die. And so if they couldn't push down on that little piece of wood any longer, then they would just die right there. Well, Jesus, the Bible says, was already dead. Not a bone of his would be broken. How how does someone prophesy about their own life, you know, and control the people who are putting you to death, you know, after you're dead, all these things, all these prophecies we're talking about in the gospel of Matthew will only encourage you and strengthen you in your desire to trust and believe the word. You know, as we teach every week, is just to believe on the word of God, to trust it, and to obey it. Because it's for our benefit. It's for our good. It's for God's glory. And so here's these women that they come to the, the tomb there. And on Mark chapter 16, if you want to take a look there with me or follow along on the screen, it says, Now when the Sabbath was passed... It says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices that they might come and they anoint him. So you have to remember at this point, you had uh, um, this kind of a terrible thing. You got Jesus who's dead on the cross. And it says that there was a disciple who had worshiped him in secret, secret follower Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea comes along a rich man and they they pay to have Jesus' body taken down. And they need to have it put in the grave before the Passover begins, before dark under Jewish law. And so they hurry up and they take his body. And so those that were there at the cross, they saw what had transpired. And so here's the women. They've seen that Jesus hasn't had a proper burial. They, they, they love him. They care for him. They, they want they want To do something. They want to do anything that they can do to demonstrate or to show their love. They're confused. They're bewildered. The one, like I said, whom they've loved was killed right in front of them. Like I said, nothing that they could plan for, nothing that they could prepare for. They watched, as you might say, hope die right before their very eyes. And they saw the Roman guard that would place a wax seal, the authority of Rome, on that tomb that nobody was to mess with. And if they did, they would be killed for it. There was actually a guard that was placed there. And so there was no way that these women were just going to waltz up to, the, to the, you know, the tomb there and walk right in and anoint Jesus' body. But like I said, there, have you ever been in a, in a situation where you're just so in, in pain, maybe at the loss of someone in your own life, and you kind of just go numb? Or have you ever just been in pain through a broken relationship where you're just bewildered that you don't even see straight, you can't even think straight? And that could be a love relationship between two people. That could be a, a, a relationship between parent and child. It's just that thing where, in the sense, you've got your heart ripped out, because that's what happened to these women. And it's important that you understand that because this was the first Easter. It didn't start like everybody wasn't at the tomb. They didn't come there. You know, it's like we're doing this. We go, He is what? Oh, that was good. <laughs> he is what? Yeah. See, we get this. Okay. You you think they were at the tomb that day, going, ten, nine? Eight. No, there's nothing in scripture that even would hint that they were there. At, they had scattered. It says that, you know, Jesus had told Peter, he said, Before a cock crows, he goes, You'll deny me three times. One of his closest followers. And then after his death, we read in John's gospel that Peter does what? After Jesus' crucifixion, Peter gets a few of the other disciples and they go back to the Sea of Galilee, which is up in the north, and he says, Let's go fishing. He's abandoned his faith. Maybe something's happened in your life where you've abandoned your faith. You don't want to admit it, but you know maybe you're here today, but you're going, but I really don't have a faith at all. I just want you to know you're not alone. The people that were closest to Jesus had these moments, these lapses of, of faith, of, of unbelief because they hadn't experienced the resurrection, the power of the resurrection that you and I can today. So they get busy, like I said, doing what they know what to do. So they talk amongst themselves. Like I said, they're confused. It says in verse two, it says very early in the morning on the first day of the week. So now it's Sunday morning. That's why we worship not on Saturday on the Sabbath. We worship on Sunday because it's the day that Jesus has risen from the dead. It says they came there the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they said amongst themselves, who will roll away the stone, the door of the tomb for us? Do you think somebody was going to do that for him? Hi, we're here. We'd like to. No. It says, but when they looked up, it says they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Now, did they assume that a miracle had taken place? No. They assumed somebody stole the body. That's their thought. They think somebody came and stole the body of their Lord. And they're now even, they've added insult, you might say, to what? To injury at that point. See, Pilate had given permission, obviously, for Jesus to be killed, and they thought somebody just came and they stole him away. That's what made sense to them. Did a resurrection make sense to them? No, not at all. Not to anyone who was associated with Jesus at all. None of the disciples, none of his followers were looking for the the resurrection. They trembled, it says, and yet they were amazed. They were taken back by it. They were afraid, the Bible says, of the news. You you don't find anything here about courage, about great faith, about, you know, know, you're going, no, they they were struggling. They were struggling. Verse 5 goes on, it says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were what? Alarmed. They weren't excited, going, He is risen! No, they're going, they're alarmed. It says, But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. In other words, what? Don't be afraid don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. It says, but go. Go do what? It says, tell his disciples and, and Peter. And again, if you've studied your Bible long and you go, why Peter? I just shared. Peter denied him three times. Does God know if today if you're here that you are denying him in, in your life? Absolutely. And what this passage would tell you is he's not your enemy. He's not against you. He's for you. He wants so much for you and I to come to know him. We hear it all the time. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Then he goes on and he says, For he did not come into the world to condemn the world But that through him, through Jesus, the world might be saved. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for me and for you to come into relationship with God. See, if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. They broke God's rules, they broke God's commandments. He told them not to eat of a particular fruit in the garden, every other thing they could eat and they could do, but not this one. And they believed a lie like you and I believe lies all the time. Somebody says, that'll be okay. God doesn't really care. He's a gracious God. And and the Bible says, in that day, God said, you'll surely die. They didn't die physically. You're here physically, but you might not be here spiritually. And that's more important. That's why Jesus said we must be born again because see, one day all of our bodies are going to die and they're going to go into the grave. But your spirit's going to go immediately into heaven. Things that they're, you know, beyond hardly our comprehension. Our body will be resurrected one day, but our spirit goes immediately to the Lord to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And their spirit died that day. They were cut off from God that day. Jesus came to redeem us back to God, that we could have a relationship with him, that we could sense him, that we could know him today, just like they knew him then. See, they knew him, physically, we will know him in the spirit by faith, the Bible says. And one day we'll know him actually when he comes for us. But it says, go tell Peter that he's going before you into Galilee and there you will see him as he said to you. So they were going to see Jesus again, not a ghost, a real person. It says It So they went out quickly. Read what it says though. They, they were told to do what? go tell the disciples. But it says, they fled from the tomb and they trembled and they were amazed. And it says, and they said nothing to who? Oh, they, they, they were right there with faith, right? No. And we can relate to that. When, you're, when your life is overcome by fear, by doubt, skepticism, we don't, we don't necessarily jump right out. It says, and they were afraid. It says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. That always means so much when you read that and you study thinking, who is Mary Magdalene? It tells us, it says, whom he had cast out seven demons. He doesn't go to the governor. He doesn't go to the president. He goes, doesn't go to the Sanhedrin. He doesn't go to the chief priests or the scribes. He goes to a woman who was demon-possessed. That's who he goes to. What society might say is the lowest of the lows. That's who Jesus came for. See, we make ourselves oftentimes something that we're not. And yet here's Jesus going, don't think that, you know, you got to clean up your act for me to love you. If you'll come to me, I'll clean up your act. That's, that's what he does. That's what he majors in. You know, a lot of people go, I'll come to church. I just need to work on a few things first. And then when I get that, you go, you'll never come you'll never come because you go, we'll never get it cleaned up. We can't clean up ourselves. If we could, we would. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's only one who's able to make us right before God, and that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary's cross that we accept by faith. It says, so then she, she, Mary Magdalene, she went and told those who had been with him. It says, as they mourned and wept, Okay remember, these are the people that are closest to him. These are the disciples. These are the ones who've heard the gospel, right? And what are they doing? Are they going, hey, Jesus said, you know, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it again. Do you think they understood his teachings? Have you ever been confused about something you've read in the Bible? You're not the only one. They walk with Jesus and they're going, and they're all constantly doing this. What did he say? What, What did he mean by that? Was he talking to me? Was he talking to you? You know, one of my favorite pastors, he gave the solution. When you read the Bible, whenever you read the Bible and it has a bad guy in the story, you're the bad guy. <laughs> it just makes it really easy. You know, if you start reading the Bible, hey, I'm the good guy. They're the best. No, you're reading it wrong. You know, no, there's none righteous, no, not one. God came to save sinners, Paul would say, and he goes, I'm chief. He goes, you could be second, you know, but I, I'm number one. But look at there in verse 10. It says all the followers of Jesus were mourning his death. They were just weeping. Verse 11 goes on. It says, and their words seemed to them like idle tales. They're telling them the story of the gospel. And what happens with it? It says, it says <laughs> they, they seemed to them like they were telling them a fairy tale. It says they did not believe them. And they're all huddled in this upper room, if you remember They go back to the upper room where they had enjoyed the Last Supper with Jesus and it says they're huddled there in the fear of the Jews. They're they're scared to death that the Jews are going to do what? That they're going to call for their arrest. They're going to do exactly to Jesus' followers that they had done to Jesus. That's what's filling their heart and mind. They're afraid to die. If you're here today and you're going, I'm afraid to die too, you're not alone. It's permeating their, their lives. They are scared to death. I mean, what I love about studying the Bible, because it doesn't gloss over, it doesn't make the, the people in the Bible look better than they are. It doesn't make us, you know, that we have to become something that we're not. I mean, because if I wrote the Bible and you wrote the Bible, I mean, would you tell people that, yeah, I was sitting there afraid, waiting for Jesus to return? I'd go, no, I was. I had the Old Testament in my right hand. I had the New Testament in my left. I was doing curls. I was waiting for Jesus. You know, God was just faith, faith, just strengthening myself in my most holy faith. You know, no, I was crying, you know, even after he told us all that he was to do. You know, the wind's blowing. You're, you're a fisherman, right? Can you imagine that, being a tough fisherman? You get in a boat, you're with Jesus, and all of a sudden the wind starts to blow and the sea starts to get rough. And I'll say, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus is what? He's holding on to the bottom of it going, oh, God, help us. No, it says he's sound asleep. And they wake him up. They are Jesus, we're fishermen. We can come. Yeah, but the, It's too rough today. And, what are they, and he's going, oh, you, he, 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 he rebukes them. He says, you have little faith. And he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And then they go, who is this? They're scared of him now. They want him to save him, but now he saves them, and then he's scared of him. He's like, oh, who can talk like this and make the waves stop and the wind stop? You know, They're just glad they got to the other side. What I love about it is, what does Jesus do? They're in the upper room. They're, they're out of fear of the Jews. What does Jesus do? Does he go up to the door and go, Hello, it's Jesus, let me in. No, what does he do? He walks through the wall and he goes, (laughs) ta-da. It's like, I mean, you gotta, I mean, this is so awesome. You know, I mean, and they're just like, and then he eats with them to show the, what? He's not a ghost. He's like, hey, just give me some fish. I mean, he knows he's, geez Louise, you know, it's like, my gosh, you know, he's like, dad, I mean, this is really the plan. I'm coming back there and leaving these guys in charge. I mean, Are you sure there's not a plan B? Why don't we just come back now? Take them all, you know. Verse 12, it says, But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. I love this. You know, you read other Gospels. He's racing John, right, to get there first. Peter gets there, you know, John gets there, and Peter can't stop, you know. He says, Stooping down, he goes in. He saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and then he does what? It says, Then he departed. It's like he runs all the way over there. Yeah, the linen clothes are there. Okay. What does he do? He goes away. He says, marveling to himself, what had happened? You ever done that? It's like, I'll just keep the news to myself. You know, it's like, I found this. he, He doesn't go like share it with everybody. It's just, he's on his own little mission there verse 36, pick it up there. And it says, and now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. But they were all terrified and frightened. supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Again, why are you troubled? And he says, and why do doubts arise in your heart? And like I said, he's revealed himself to them. He says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's going, you have the word I've told it to you. He says that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and, the, and of the Psalms concerning me. Now, we didn't get what we know as a Bible until the fourth century, about 300 years after Christ's death. They had what you read here. They had the law of Moses. That was the Old Testament. They had the prophets, the Old Testament. And they had the Psalms. And to them, that was, that was their Bible. We have the New Testament writings to go along with it. Luke 24, 45 picks it up and it says, and he opened their understanding. See, that's what God does. See, a lot of times people go, well, you know, I, my friend, I've told them about the, the gospel and they, they just don't believe it. Well, the, the, the gospel is logical, but it's also supernatural. The Bible says that the natural mind cannot conceive the things of God. It can't understand them for they're spiritually discerned. We need God's help. That's why we need to humble ourselves before God. See, you go, oh, I've tried to read the the Bible as a a non-believer. And you go, it doesn't make sense to me. You go, no, it makes sense to you when you believe. You ever heard the expression, believing is seeing? See, we live in the world, we go, well, you know, seeing is believing. Well, really, in faith, it's the other way. It's coming to him by faith. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's where people struggle because, see, if we went the other way, we could say, hey, the reason God saved me is because I figured it out. It would be all on us, but our salvation is a work of God. It's not a work of man. So we come to God on his terms. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the father except by or through me. Yeah, he's the door. It says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So the message of the gospel was turn from your way. Turn from your way of thinking and doing things and turn to God. Turn your heart and your life over to God. That's what it is to be saved. It isn't just coming on our terms, of, oh, I believe in God. And there's no action to support it. No, it's a change of heart. Repentance, by definition, is a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of will. It's a complete volitional change in our life. Verse 48 goes on, it says, And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, But tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you are endued with power from on high. So he says... He, he looks across the room here and he tells them, he says, you know, you are eyewitnesses of these events. That, that's what he wants them to understand. See, there was something different, something unique about this group. That's why they called them apostles. An apostle had to be someone who walked with Jesus, who saw his death, who saw his resurrection, who experienced that for themselves because they had a special commission. And to think, you know, the truth of this, people go, how do we know it's true? And you go, well, you're sitting here today. You go, if this wasn't true, it would have died out a long, long time ago. When you think about the persecution, the waves of persecution that came against the church. And people could not deny what they knew to be true because they were eyewitnesses. See, Jesus didn't just appear to the 12. The Bible says that he appeared to over 500 at one time. And it changed the course of human history. Maybe you can put it like this when you look at the cross and Easter Sunday together. When Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin. But when he rose from the grave, he conquered death. See, when he went to the cross, he died for our sin. He paid the price in full. When he rose again from the, from the grave, he conquered death the final enemy. And that's what changed their life. That's why the resurrection changes everything. See, he can die for a person's sin, but they would still have that fear of death. That's what they had. They were still afraid that they were going to die. That's why they were, they were all huddled up. They were thinking, we're going to die. We're going to die. But when he rose again from the dead, they never worried about death any longer. If you're here today and you're worrying about death, what God would have you understand is the power of the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who believes in me said, will never die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And guess what? They knew that it was true because they had seen it with their own eyes. They watched Jesus beaten beyond recognition. They saw that he wasn't even recognizable to them. And they saw him three days later risen from the grave. The wounds, except for the scars it says in his hands and in his feet and in his side, they remained. But everything else, he, he was back. He was healed. They recognized him. He walked with them. They talked with him. It's what gave birth to the church. It's what gave birth to us, you and I being here today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It isn't a cliche that, that Easter changes everything. It really is a way of life. It gives us hope. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter, James, you know, you think about, you know, James, the, the brother of Jesus. I mean, think about this. I mean, if, if you don't believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got to believe James, the brother of Jesus. And you go, why? Well, he's his half brother, right? They don't, they don't share the same father. Joseph is, is James's father, and God the Father is Jesus' father. They share the same mother. Mary was the incubator God used to birth Jesus into the world. 100% God, 100% man. But during his life, walking on this earth, his own brother didn't believe in him. He did miracles. He helped people. He cured people. And James did not believe. Most of us, how many have a brother that's in here? Raise your hand if you have a brother. Would you worship your brother? You go, no. No, but if your brother brother went to a cross and he was killed in front of your eyes and three days later he comes over to have breakfast with you, would you worship your brother? You go, yeah, you would. <laughs> he is, this is one tough dude. You go, well, that's what happens with James. He didn't, he didn't believe that his brother, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. So it wasn't the teachings. See, people go, oh, the teachings. It wasn't the teachings of Jesus that changed the world. It was his death, his burial, and ultimately it was his resurrection because we know that, because his disciples had his teachings. And they were what? Unbelief, doubting, fearful, afraid, scared, worried, whatever you want to say. And you go, why? Because this overwhelming sense of death, death, that they were going to die. They were going to be killed for their faith. That, that put the brakes on everything. They, ah, you know, I want to serve Jesus. It puts the brakes on many of our lives that are here today because we're afraid. Oh, if I went that, man, I could, that could kill my job. That could kill my relationship. That could get me killed, Period. But those that had experienced his resurrection, all of a sudden they're going, hmm, we don't care. We don't care any longer because we get it because he's alive. And because he lives, we're going to live too. And then you take Paul, Paul, the apostle. He's probably the most credible source when it comes to the resurrection because he was an enemy of the cross. He was an enemy of Jesus Christ. And he writes extensively. Two thirds of the New Testament are attributed to the apostle Paul. And he writes About what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Seeing him risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's put it like this verse 13 it says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. He goes, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, he goes, you know what? All of us here today. It doesn't matter that he died because everybody dies. That wasn't the game changer. If he didn't raise from the dead, it's game over. But he did. And that changed everything for everybody It changes now the way that we think about life, the way we think about death, and the way we think about our lives and the way that we live our lives. Because now the Bible says it's appointed a man to die and then face judgment. And we're either going to spend eternity with God in heaven or we're going to spend eternity in hell apart from God. That's what his word teaches us. God wants us to experience heaven. Is it safe to say then that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important aspect of human history? It's the most important moment in human history. Nothing even comes close to this event. I love what, you know, one pastor said. He goes, you know, you think about, maybe you can relate to this today. He said, you know, Peter, think of all the people. I think most of us, you know, if you've studied your Bible long, we relate to Peter. How many relate to Peter when you read your Bible? Yeah, Yeah, a lot of us do. He said, Peter believed, right, Peter followed Jesus, he believed, and then he doubted and he unbelieved. So he goes from being a believer to an unbeliever, and then he moves from being a believer to an unbeliever to denying Jesus, ultimately to coming back to being a believer, and then he, you know, re-believes. So it goes like this, he unbelieved, he denied he ever believed. Remember when the little girl confronts him? Then he denies that he ever believed. And then he ultimately comes back to faith and he re-believes. And some of us could go, wow, you know what? <laughs> that, that sounds like my life. I believed and then I had doubts and I was, became a skeptic and then I unbelieved and then people questioned my unbelief and then I, I doubted that I really ever believed. And then ultimately something happened in my life and I came back and I re-believed. Many people do that. That's a a pathway, and it's okay. (laughs) Many of the disciples, that was the very route that they came. Peter would be one of them. And what would happen in Peter's life? Tremendous boldness. Like I said, that he ends up dying in Rome under Nero Caesar. And he's so bold in his faith. History tells us that when he was crucified the same way as Jesus, but he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner, and so he asked his captors if they would turn him upside down and crucify him upside down. This is the same Peter that was going, you know, I've never, I've never met the man, to saying, you know what, I'm not worthy to die the same way as could you at least turn me upside down. Wow. What happened? Resurrection power. Experiencing the resurrection for himself. You know, it's baseball season. What I love about this is the grace of God. We know from Scripture, Peter struck out three times, right? He was out. What did Jesus do? Give Peter a new bat. That's the grace of God. Maybe you're here today and you're going, you know, Pastor Mike, I can't tell you how many times I've struck out. Well, I can tell you this. The Bible says that we're called to forgive 70 times 7, 490 times in the same day for the same offense. And that doesn't even compare to the grace and the forgiveness of God. I just want you to know if you're here today and you need the forgiveness of God, that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees. The cross is where he paid for the penalty of my sin and your sin. The empty tomb is the proof that we have eternal life. Death was conquered in that empty grave. And it's why we celebrate Easter for the church each and every Sunday. But especially, you know, to come back this day and go, there is something, there's a marked moment in time. And I pray that, uh, you know, you today, as you go to the places that you'd go, that you would understand that God isn't your enemy, that God is for you. And the Bible says, if God be for us, then who can stand against you? Really, the question that, that begs to be asked today is, what's keeping you from coming to Christ. What's what sin? Because it's always sin. What, what sin is there that, that you find greater pleasure in than having that peace and that joy of knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that you have eternal life? So you think that, you know, you go, well, I'm okay with just, you know, say you live to be 150. 150 years compared to eternity would be like trying to find a dot, you know, like on, on this sanctuary wall if you took a pencil head and just touched it somewhere. Barely, You know, and you go, and that, that's not even a, a good example, but at least it gives you kind of a visualization of it. You know, what is it in our lives that, that we would trade the joy and the hope of heaven for, that we would hold on to this sin, the sin that, again, the Bible says so easily entangles us. And I know, and I do get this because I know I mean, there, we have people that we love in, in this church that, are, that struggle in addiction. They can't get over it. And so what they do is they lie to themselves and they say, well, I like it. And you go, You really? You like what it's doing to you? You like that it's destroyed your marriage? You like that it's destroyed your family? You like that it, 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 you lost your job over it? You, you're happy that all these things are happening? But I get that because if we were to admit it, then we would admit that we're not in control. And what God wants all of us to do is to come to that place and go, you know what, to relinquish control. We, th- we think we're good at controlling our lives, but in reality we're not because then we look for some placebo, something to fill that void. You know, it's been well said that there's a God-shaped void in all of our hearts that only Jesus can fill. But if you're not letting Jesus fill that void, you're trying to fill it with something else. It could be sex. It could be drugs. It could be, you know, alcohol. There, it could be a hobby. It could be something that you deem. It could be work. It could be a relationship. There's so many things that we can place above God. But nothing can take the place of God. We were created by him and for him. And he wants a relationship with us. Jesus came to make it possible. See, it's in our guilt that we feel like, ah, you know, he doesn't want me. And the devil comes along and there really is a devil. There really is an adversary. You have an enemy of your soul who whispers in your ear and says, God doesn't want anything to do with you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That he loved you so much that he would go to a cross in your place and in my place and die for us. That he who knew no sin would become sin for me and you. So that you and I could know God. That we could know heaven. It's a gift. As we close today, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we close if you're here today and you have not received that gift, maybe you've been here and you thought, well, I, I get it. The way, that you, the way you get to heaven is you got to be a good person. Well, the Bible says none of us are good. It says only God is good, perfectly good. Because really when you think about good, you know, I'm the measure of good and you're the measure of good. And what we, then what we do is, is worse. We start judging other people to make ourselves better than them. And the standard of measurement, if you really want to be honest about it, is one person and one person only, and it's God himself. And standing next to him, guess what? We're all guilty. But the Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works, which any man can boast. You can't take credit for your salvation. If you're here today and you're saved, it's because Jesus, we just read (laughs) the disciples. They were right there. They couldn't understand anything until what? Until Jesus opened up their mind to understand None of us can take credit for our salvation. It is a gift from God. And it needs to be treated as such. But maybe you're here today and you've been trying to work for yours and it makes sense to you today. And I want to pray with you before you go. Maybe you're here today, like I said, and you're still a skeptic and you're going to leave a skeptic today. I just hope you'll take one step closer. And if we can help you do that, like I said, we've got some books here. The Case for Easter that you would examine, that you would examine further what Jesus accomplished by not just his death on the cross, but by his resurrection. He conquered sin on the cross, he conquered death through the empty grave. If you're here today and you struggle with dying, you're afraid, you go, man, he wants to take that fear from you. And the way he does that is he replaces that fear with his love, with his presence in your life. That's why Jesus said, When I go to the Father, I'll pray. Maybe you've heard about this thing called the Trinity the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit, all being God. Jesus said, I'll pray, and the Father will send another, the Holy Spirit, and he not just will be with you in your life. He said, but he'll come into your life. And if you've never received God, you've never received his Holy Spirit. But if you receive God today, you'll receive his Holy Spirit. He'll come into your heart by faith. And what they knew in reality by walking with him, you'll know in a greater degree by faith. They could touch him, but the Bible says, you and I have a greater sense because he'll be with you and he'll be in you. And the great joy of that church is he said, and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And there's where your peace will come from. There's where, you know, when you see people who die in the faith, well, what does the Bible say? They don't really die. It says they do what? It says they sleep. If somebody's asleep, why do we say they're asleep? Because they're going to wake up. And that's what it is in the sense to die in Christ is really, it's just like falling asleep because you're gonna close your eyes here and you're gonna open your eyes in the very presence of God. They knew that to be true. That's what changed their life. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And the resurrection of Jesus can change your life today if you'll open your heart to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your word. I thank you for every person who's here in this sanctuary some of them know you and they love you deeply. They've loved you for a long time. And others have struggled. And, it, and it's not because they wanted to struggle. It's just they have. Life and circumstances, relationships, have just hindered them from understanding and knowing you. But they're here today and it's not by accident. There is no accidents with you. And God, you your desire is to set them free today. If only they would come to you and receive you as Savior and then Lord of their life. That, God, you would lead them and you would guide them home. You would fill them with yourself. You'd forgive them of their sin and wash them and cleanse them. As your word says that they would be a new creation where old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And just as we prepare to close, I just want to ask you, if you're here today and and. The Holy Spirit's whispering to you that you, you'd go, Pastor Mike, if someone came to me today and said, I could get a do-over in my life. I struck out like Peter, and someone would hand me a new bat today and say, you're up again, and give me another chance. Man, I would jump at it. Well, that's exactly what God is doing. That's exactly what he's doing. If you're here today and you go, I, I need that, that second chance, or that third chance you go, Pastor Mike, I'm past the 490 one that's okay. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's kind to sinners. If you need him, he'll save you. He said, if you believe in your heart and you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he said, thou shall be saved. And so I want to ask you, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I want that, that new chance. I want Jesus to come into my life and wash me and cleanse me and forgive me and make me new. I want to walk out of here today with that joy of knowing that he is risen. I want to be able to, when I walk through the door of my house today or go to the Easter celebration where I'm going to, I want to walk through the door and throw my arms out and go, ta-da, ta-da. I'm a new creation in Christ where old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. If that's you today, in all sincerity, raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Let us pray for you. I see your hand there. Anybody else at all? I see yours. Anybody else? Nothing to be ashamed of. I see yours there and yours in the back. Yeah, you just put them up and put them down. I see yours. Anybody else? That's what Easter is all about. I see yours. Yeah, there's definitely nothing to be ashamed of. We are why Jesus came. Every single one of us. I see yours as well. Thank you for that. God is so good. So good. Father, thank you for these today. Thank you for Easter and what it means to us that our sins are forgiven and that death has been conquered. And because of that, we can enjoy this life to the fullest. You said that you've come that we might have life and life to the fullest. We can walk out of here today knowing our sins are forgiven. We can gather with family and friends and Lord rejoice, God. Celebrate and be happy. Be at peace because you're alive and we've placed our hope and our trust in you. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your love. May you just continue to be glorified in your church May you just bless our celebrations as we gather with family and friends today. May we just enjoy the time that we have because Jesus is Lord. We pray these things today in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen.